when, I, when they asked me, what is your passage? Um, I took that risk and I said, uh, either two, good, two things can happen. Uh, this could be a very special night as the last night you hear Pastor Reggie speaking here. Or it can be the one night that we use like a whole book as our text for today. And uh, when they asked me, where's my passage? I said, well, how about the book of Esther? What passage? The whole thing. Can we talk about the whole thing? And, uh, <clears throat> and that's what we're going to do today. Hopefully, the Lord will guide us and we'll have great success and we'll get out, come out of this place a different people than what we came in. In recent times, uh, Christianity has become so many things for so many different peoples in different meanings. Uh, as we get closer to election time, you're going to hear Christianity and evangelical use as a uh, political group, as an agenda, as a group of voters, uh, you know, people with certain standards or certain views, certain values, some, you know, welcome, some hated. Um, and I think a lot of us will, will sit in the middle and say, I, I don't know what they're talking about. Because being a Christian for me is, is not a, a lifestyle, it's, it's life. It's everything, right? And a lot of times it comes the question of how involved should we let our, our faith be in, in everyday life? You know, and, and apparently I think in, in America and in the States, we, we tend to compartmentalize things. And, you know, my faith has its place, and my professional life has its place, and sometimes it makes, and as we heard this morning, we are called to, to live a professional life as we're doing it for the Lord, right, to be fully integrated. But I, I think we, all of us still struggle to see if there's a line of division, you know, uh, this whole idea of separation, and we take the whole concept of separation, church and state, to think like separations of everyday life and, and my Christian faith, they, they may or may not mingle. Well, tonight we're going to hopefully understand a couple things. So I'll tell you what we're going to, my main point is. Life is God, it's for God. This life is all about God. It's not about you, it's not about me. God has a plan. And he has had work, he's been working on that plan, and he will complete his purposes for that he has said before him, whether you and I come alongside or join or not. Everything in life is under God's control. Everything is, when we tell the kids, teach the song, he has the whole world in his hands, do you realize that that's really what we mean? He has a whole world, his hands are bigger than the world, Right? And what I want you to come out of today understanding this is that we have an invitation. We have an invitation to be part of God's plan. So today we're going to talk about Mordecai. And, um, but before we do that, have you ever heard about a festival called the Festival of Purim? Yeah? Yeah. All right, you, you know, because I hadn't heard it until I studied for this sermon. So um, I looked into it, and actually, the 14th day of, of Adar, which is the last, the 12th month in the Jewish calendar, the 14th day, the Jewish people had this one-day celebration, and in Jerusalem, they last two days. 
And we'll, you'll understand a little bit more later. But they have pastries in triangular shape. They said they reminds them of the hat that Mordecai wore. I don't know what kind of hat was that. If I've been Mexican, it would be a lot bigger. And then they get to wear uh, costumes, and that's a kind of a new thing. I've never seen a wig at the, at the, uh, the wailing wall, but they, there's a one day that they can dress up, and that just started a couple centuries ago. It wasn't from the time of Esther. But it's a time of celebration. And um, now it's one of those minor festivals, right? Unless you're a Moody Bible, uh, Moody Church you know, a tender that you know what that festival is, or you're Jewish, most people don't know what that festival is. And it happens, and, and it happens in the book of Esther that that festival is established. And there's a beautiful story behind it. So, Esther chapter 1, verse 1. Don't worry, we won't read it all, but I'm going to start there. Now in the days of Ahuseris, the Ahuseris who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces, in the days of the king Ahuserah sat on his royal throne in Susa, the capital, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants, the army of Persia and Media, and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him, while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days. 187 days. 187 day party. Wow. I was so blessed. Yes, last night, I, uh, uh, the Hispanic community threw me a surprise birthday party. My birthday's not today. They just, they're ahead about a week. So be ready. My birthday's next week. <laughs> 180. It lasted, I stayed there for about four hours and I was done. Imagine 188 days, 180 days of party. Three months. More? Six months? Any given more? <laughs> Anybody good with that? 180 days for the armies and the governors and everybody who had power. And what was the point? To show off his glory. This Persian king... All he wanted to do for 180 days was to show off everything that he had gained and conquered by his strength and the strength of his army. 180 days. And when those were done, they were not enough. So he decided we need seven more days. Right? It's getting more biblical. Seven days. Seven days of party for everybody in the city of Susa. From great and small, poor and rich, everybody is welcome to this party in the courtyard of the palace. And he describes what kind of place it is. It says that the ground in the floor of the garden, there is uh, pearls. Uh, they, they, they create this beautiful mosaic on the floor. And there is uh, purple curtains and there's uh, Silver rods and everything is white linen, and it is just a beautiful representation and of the splendor of this king. He wanted to show off to everybody. And this king made one decree: let the wine flow and drink from, from golden goblets and just have a great time. The decree was this, there's nothing wrong. Let every man do whatever feels good in their heart and enjoy themselves. 
Have you ever seen a party like that? When everybody has no restraint and do whatever? It doesn't look very pretty at the end. Day seven, when the king had had enough wine, probably more than enough. He remember, oh, I have a beautiful wife. Now, the wife has had her own party for seven days, just for the ladies. And they have had, been having a good time. I'm sure they, uh, Queen Vashi had enough wine of her own. So when the king said, well, I have a beautiful, why don't we have her dressed up, beautiful, and come and show off another one of my treasures. So he sent for his queen. Except that the queen was not having any of it. He said, no, I don't think so. He's drunk. Everybody in that room is drunk. That's not going to be pretty. I'm not going. Except that the king came to the clinic and said, well, she doesn't want to come. And the king being a strong leader, you know, wise man who had conquered many provinces. He's, he turned around, no what to say, talking to friends, what do I do? His best friend's wife, his advice was, why should I do that? Queen, that queen doesn't want to come, well, what can I do? And uh, the advisors being the good advisor said, well, if, if your wife doesn't obey you, the king, what chance do we stand? Seriously, King, if you, if you let the queen not do what you ask her to do, ask little guys. <laughs> you know, our wife are going to revolt against us. They're not going to want to do anything for us, and we're going to be in trouble here. So you need to set her straight. And you need to write a decree and seal it. In other words, you have to write a law that by Persian standards, it cannot be revoked. Not even you can revoke it. And the... And the and the decree needs to be this, that every woman, every wife who, you know, needs to honor their husband, whether they're great, small, big, fat, short, good looking, ugly looking, it doesn't matter. <laughs> their wives need to do and obey and respect their husband or else. And you need to make sure that Queen Bashti doesn't ever, ever comes back to your court. Now remember the state of the king. He should not be driving. He should not be thinking. <laughs> he should have gone to bed. <laughs> he says, that sounds like a good deal to me. He writes a letter. He seals it. Queen Bash is never seen again. This goes over the 127 provinces. And we have a map that shows the provinces. Now, this king ruled over what we know today as the Middle East, mostly, from India. And you see Jerusalem there. Great place. The Jews, by this time, the Jewish people, by this time, some of them had returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the, the temple. This is about 107 years after uh, Nebuchadnezzar took over uh, Judea. So over this whole place, the Jewish people had been spread all over. And in order to make sure that all the law was obeyed from Susa next to Babylon, that law, that these letters had to go out. And they went out. Well, demanding all the wives to submit to their husbands. Well, with Queen Bashti gone, the next morning, the king woke up with a really bad headache and regretting what he did. And the Bible says that the king said, why have I done? 
And he remembered, he says that he remembers bashing how beautiful she was and how much he misses her. And his young assistant said, well, King, what's the problem? You have a whole kingdom, 127 provinces, and I'm sure that there's plenty of beautiful girls here. Why don't you, you know, send out, go shopping, pick up a few, find out which one do you like best. And again, being the strong man that he is, he said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. (laughs) So we find ourselves with this king gathering the most beautiful virgin young ladies of his lands and bringing him to his castle to decide to select one to be his wife. And that's where our story enters Esther. Esther was taken. Esther was being raised by her cousin Mordecai, who was much older. And Esther was orphaned. Her parents had died, and he had taken care of her as if it was his own daughter. And, and so much that when we, we learned through the story that he raised her, he taught her what it was to be a Jewish woman. When, he, when she was taken, he kept track of her. He went to the gate of the palace, and he kept looking for opportunities to know how she was doing. The Lord gave Esther favor. And by giving her favor, that means that the, the eunuch who was in charge of, the, of these girls liked her a lot, gave her extra makeup the day that he had to go, she had to go visit the king to care of her. And he said that she was selected every time that they did a, it sounded like a television show nowadays, every time there was a round of elimination, she was still there. And the Lord kept her there. And it came to the time when she was a finalist. And she had to go to a 12-month beautification process. Six months where she, she was treated with oils and, and all kinds of natural treatment for her skin and hair. And another six months, she, was, she had to follow a diet to make sure she, she was healthy. And then after that, she came to visit the king. And in the king, after spending one night with the king, she... If she was uh, earned his favor, he will call her again. If not, she will become one of the concubines and just stay in the palace. So either way, in the mind of uh, any, any parent say, well, she's taken care of by the king. Nothing's, Esther's not going to miss anything. The worst thing she can do, she's a concubine to the king. Living in the palace, being take, uh, taken care of, everything is be fine. But Mordecai loved his cousin who he loved like a daughter, and he kept track of it and kept coming to the gate. And she kept, he kept a knife for opportunity, opportunity to continue to instruct her and guide her. And that's my first point. I call this sermon, it's like Mordecai is street smarts. And it reminds me that sometimes as Christians, we think, well, you know, there's street smarts and there's church smarts, Right. Well, the reality is that we need to, you know, Jesus told us we're going to a place where we need to be very astute, right? We need to be aware of what's going on. We, we need to know how to function in society without compromising our character. And, and I think that's what Mordecai did. First of all, he kept an eye for the opportunity to guide and instruct others. In this case, his own adopted daughter. Because we see in chapter 2, verse 10, we says that Esther had been told, listen, don't tell anybody that you're Jewish. Play smart. Be careful. Okay? 
And Esther remembered the training, and she, she kept in contact through servants with her, with her cousin. And Mordecai looked for time to continue to influence and to instruct and to guide Esther, even while she was living in the house of the king. You see, as Christians, we're called to influence culture. Right? We're not to be secluded. We need to take our faith and put it to work and, and teach others and, and tell them of a better way of doing things and teach them how to be smart. And, and Mordecai instructs Esther what to say, what not to say, and how to conduct herself. And we find that in chapter 2, verse 10. And in verse 20, she finishes, Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. All of us who trust Jesus, who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we need to be a source of influence for others. We need to keep looking for opportunities to impact the life of others for the good of kingdom, whether they know Jesus or not. We need to be, we need to be the, the person that people come for good advice. Not for criticism, not for condemnation. But when somebody wants to have, hear the truth and, and have good advice, they need to be able to say, hey, I know so-and-so. I don't know what's, what's up with him. That big book he has on his desk, but I think he's smart. Let me go ask him. What do he think about the situation? Sometimes, instead of coming to us, they avoid us. And we have to admit that sometimes it's because of our own fault. Well... The story continues because now not only Mordecai, not only Esther's moving on, she, she became the queen, right? The king really liked her, falling in love with her. He puts her in the position of queen, and everything's going to be fine. So Mordecai keeps coming to the gate, and one day Mordecai is sitting there, and he's just hearing the conversation, and he overhears a conversation between two leaders, and these two advisors of the king decide that, you know what, we're done with this king. He's kind of a goofball. He doesn't know how to make real decisions. We have to be, always be telling him what to do. Why don't we just get rid of him? Uh, that's my version of scriptures, okay? But that, there's two advisors who seek to kill the king, and, and here's Mordecai, and he's like, oh. Now... Mordecai could have said, that's it. You know, that's, you know, poor king. We're going to get a new one soon. Uh, I'm going home. Esther seems to be fine. But I, instead of that, he brings that up to Esther. He gets involved. And I think that the number two here is that we keep our ear to the ground, right? The idea that we're listening. We don't turn a deaf ear to society, but we listen and we look for opportunities to get involved. And when we hear something is wrong, we speak up and say, that's not right. So Mordecai takes this news and gives it to Esther. Esther brings it up to the proper authorities. The investigation comes out. It is true. Mordecai just saved the king. Did the king deserve to be saved? I don't know, right? He was a, he was a husband of her, his cousin, so probably there was some connection there. But that Mordecai got involved because he's listening. He's sitting there at the gate trying to keep tabs on his, on his adopted daughter and, and listening to what's going on, and he gets involved. We're called to get involved. Well, 
that goes down the record chronicles that king keeps a, a diary saying okay put it down in the book mordecai you know who who was informed mordecai okay put it down he did a good deed and you know I go to bed and that's it so he goes in the books nothing big happened well something in history happened uh haman this uh bad guy he's the bad guy in the story and there's always a bad guy and this bad guy, they say, you know, Russ is to power. He's the second in command. The king really likes him. He says, everybody who sees Haman coming down the street, you need to stop. You need to bow down. You need to shake his hand. You need to pay tribute to him. You know, I want him to be highly respected, just second to me. And here comes Haman one day. He comes through the gates, and there is a Mordecai. And Mordecai being... I don't know if he was moody that day. I don't know if he just decided not to obey the king that day. Uh, or whether he was really protesting because in his Jewish traditions, I don't bow down before anybody but God. I don't know what he was thinking. But he refused to bow down before Haman. Haman didn't do anything, but he took notice of that. Haman came back again the next day. Mordecai still didn't, didn't bow down to him. And again and again, and, and nothing happened. They started bothering Haman, who is like, I'm the top dog here. Why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you bowing down? He begins to build this hate, and he goes home and talks to his wife and says, you know, this, this filthy man, you know, he won't bow down. Who does he think he is? And begins to plot something in his mind to kill him. But he said, you know, I'm going to do one better. I'm not just going to kill him. I'm going to kill all his people. So he started casting purr. Purr is another word for lots. To see when he's going he's gonna to make uh, Mordecai pay. And he started tossing lots. It started the first month of the year. And he can, in never a land that he has, I don't know what he was looking for, but he's not into, he tossed lots on the 12th month of the Jewish calendar Adar, and he said, and the Lot landed in favor of destroying the Jews. So he goes, Haman goes to the king and says, you know what, king? There's this group of people that really don't like you. There's really good group of people that think they're all that and they're not, and you should take care of them before they become a problem. Oh, yeah, who are they? The Jews. You need to take care of those Jews. You need to write a law in the 12 month of Adar, they, we just, just let us wipe them out. Because they're no good to you. They're infecting your whole kingdom. And the king, being the strong man of character that he is, signs the law, puts his seal. They're on the 14th day of Adar. If you had a neighbor who was Jewish... You were to strike him down. Man, women, and child. Destroy them. Not only that, you can take their stuff. You get to keep whatever they, do, they have. The letter went out to 127 providences. The Bible said that when, I don't know, have you ever remember when your dad used to say, just wait until we get home? <laughs> You remember that? My dad would say, just wait until we get home. And I, just wait. I'm driving right now. Can't take out my belt, but just wait. And you were like in agony all the way. 
It was more painful the way for the punishment than the actual punishment. Now, can you imagine if you got a news that say on the 12th month, on the 14th day of the 12th month of the calendar, anybody can come into your house and destroy you and you cannot defend yourself. You're just, your days are literally counted. Bible said Mordecai heard this and he tore his garments and he put on sackcloth and he threw dust on him in the middle of the, of the town and he cried a loud voice. And there was the same thing all over the kingdom because all the Jews heard their days were counted. When Esther heard that his cousin was having this breakdown, he sent one of his or her helpers and said, go find out what's going on with Mordecai. It's kind of embarrassing, you know? What's the deal? And when he told her, give her a copy of the law, she came back and said, this can't be. And, and, and Mordecai told Esther, tell Esther that she has to do something. She has to go talk to the king. And the response of Esther Come back to so chapter 4. And Esther's like, listen, you know that I can go before that king. You know what happened to the last queen? Right? If the law is that I cannot go in there unless I'm invited. I haven't been invited for a month. I don't think he wants to see me right now. What can I do? If I go, I'm dead. And, we all, and, when, and when Mordecai heard this, chapter 4 Verse 14. We all know the verse. It's famous. Maybe the Lord put you here for such a time as this. But I like that. I think the first part of the verse is more meaningful. Listen to what it says. In 13, it says, Don't think yourself that the king's palace will escape any more than all the other Jews. Verse 14. For if you keep silence at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. You need to know your stuff. You need to know your stuff. And you need to see God. You need to know what, who you are, and you need to know what promises you have. If you're going to survive in this life, we need to know who we are. And the one thing that Mordecai knew is this. We are God's chosen people. We're not going anywhere. Egypt couldn't wipe us out. When we crossed the Jordan and we went into Canaan, they couldn't wipe us out. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't wipe us out. Nobody's going to wipe us out. We are here because God brought us here. He will take us out. He will deliver us from this pain. There's no doubt about that. When we are facing difficulties in life and look, things look very difficult, and damn it, we don't seem to have hope. We need to remember one thing. God will not let anything to happen to us that is not according to his plan. He will deliver. But we need to know that. Otherwise, we tend to freak out when things get bad, don't we? We tend to freak out. I was at a vacation uh, a couple weeks ago in Southern California. 
you know, celebrating 20 year anniversary with my wife. We just had a great time. This Saturday is getting close to the end of our time. We're in the waves. We really enjoy, and I remember in my days as a youth surfing waves, you know, feeling indestructible. Until I told my wife, it's time to go. I'm coming out, and this huge wave comes. And I said, no problem. I got this under control. I'll ride the wave out. And I'll come out, you know, walking like a king out of this water. <laughs> Instead, the wave grabbed me. All that water got drained, and I landed on my neck on the, on the sand. Yes, I left there, but not in any glory. It was more like a, an ambulance to the ER. <laughs> and as I'm sitting there saying, what a way to spend Southern California, the ER. Here comes the bills. <laughs> and I have to admit that little things like that in an, in an emotional time, they, they brought me down from being like this, this undestructible not 20 anymore, guy. <laughs> and Brian reminded I'm very fragile and slightly out of shape. <laughs> and I realized, ah, what a doomsday. And I got depressed. It took, me, it took me for an emotional ride. It took me about two days to get out of it. And, and in my mind, I'm telling myself, why are you worried? God protected you. He knew I had to preach today, so as to keep me in this world for today. And I said, but for, the, for a split moment, I, I thought that things were out of control. You know, I can't control circumstances, but I know God, and God will carry me through whatever. He, he will allow things to happen according to his will. He will get me out. And that's why Mordecai is telling to Esther, listen, Esther, I know you're scared. Yes, you can die. The danger is real. But Listen. You have an opportunity. You can stay silent or you can take action. You can let somebody else be the instrument of God or it can be you. Which one is going to be? And Esther says, she has been well instructed by her cousin. Say, why don't you gather every Jew you know in the city and fast for three days and pray. Know your stuff and seek God. Know the truth. Rely on what you know and then seek God's direction. I got a lot of little difficult emotional days by realizing God is big. He, he has this. He has this. My little problems are nothing for the Lord. He has this. I can choose to relax and let him show me or I can freak out about it and have it be an emotional basket case until who knows when. And that's how I psych myself out of that one. God is in control. You need to know your stuff, and then you need to rely on God. You need to trust God. Four, let's move a little quicker on this one. Four, hold your ground, and God will sustain you. So we know the story. Esther goes in, set up to, to goes the first time. She's about, she's in danger. The king said, no, I really do like you. I don't want to lose you. Here's my staff. You're forgiven. You can come into my presence. You want the whole story? You can read it tonight, and you should read all ten chapters. No problem. So Esther gets the attention of the king. And to that second time they, they has a, Esther comes to the king, they have a banquet, and, and, and Esther says, hey, king, why do you want to wipe me out? And the king said, what do you mean? You're my favorite. Why, why wipe you out? What are you talking about? Well, this man sitting next to you wants to destroy us, me and all my people. 
Haman had already made the gallows where he was going to hand Mordecai. The kid said, wait, you want to hand the guy that saved my life? You crazy? That same night, they dragged him from there. They went and hang him on the gallows that were designed for Mordecai. And the king says, what do you want me to do? What can I do? I can't void the law. So Mordecai says, well, why don't you write a law that allows us to defend ourselves? And they were your favorite people. <laughs> Tell everybody that you like us and that we can defend ourselves. So he did. He gave the ring to Mordecai and said, write the law. Wrote the law, they put a seal that said, every Jew in every province, you can defend yourself. Not only that, but the armory of the king was open to the Jews to get armed and ready to go. So now on Adar 14, when the, en- when the enemies of the Jews will come, they were going to show up thinking that there were nobody. No. There were the Jews fully armed, ready to go to battle. But you need to hold your ground. You need to stay solid. Say, this is where the Lord has us. We're not going anywhere. And God will sustain us. Well, the day came. Number four. Number five, sorry. The day came. And everybody was scared when they got this law. They said, well, I'm not going to go bother the Jewish people. Some still wanted to fight, so they went to fight. The Jewish, had to, the Jewish people had to fight. In the city of Susa, they killed 500 men. At the end of the whole battle, over the whole 125, 26 province, 27 provinces, 75,000 people died. The Jews killed 75,000 men. They held their ground. And they stayed true to their roots. They were chosen people, and they reflected the heart of God. Why? Because the Bible tells us that they did not take a single piece of the bounty. They defeated the enemies, and they let them keep whatever they had. They didn't take anything from them. And when I read the story, I said, what a contrast at the beginning and at the end of the story. At the beginning, here's a king celebrating and boasting about what he took from others and how, what great glory he has. And here's God's people saying, we have been delivered of the greatest odds. And we don't need anything because we have God. We don't want your stuff. We don't want to become rich with that. On the contrary, Mordecai, when he established the festival of Purim, which means lots. Remember, Haman was throwing lots to figure out. Now they're celebrating what he was doing. This. What you're going to do is this. You're going to take, make food baskets, and you're going to take it and share it with your neighbors and share it with the poor. And we're going to re- remember how God delivered us by sharing with others what we have. Instead of celebrating what we could have taken. Because God delivered us. Isn't that a beautiful story? Esther is a key part, but I see Mordecai as the wisdom, taking risk, being wise in the eyes of man, or knowing where to be at the right place at the right time, taking action, yet keeping the heart of God. Say, we're not going to do this like everybody else. We're going to do it reflecting the heart of our God. He doesn't, God doesn't want your stuff. But God wants you to be part of his story. That's why this next slide, this is the verse, if you're going to remember one, I want you to remember the first part of chapter 4, verse 14. For if you keep silent at this time, at this time, 
Relief and deliverance will rise from another place. I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk. I don't know what you're facing at work. I don't know what kind of things are happening. But let me tell you, if you have an opportunity to make an impact, if you need to raise your voice and speak for somebody who's weak, if you need to take action because somebody needs some help, or you see somebody who's lost, who needs direction, will you stay quiet or will you stand up and be part of that relief and deliverance? Because if it is God's will, that person will receive the help he needs from the Lord. But wouldn't it be nice that you get to be part of it? As a church, as a church, we need, we need to be the kind of church that has the ears to the ground and is listening to culture. And we're looking for opportunities to impact others. And we need to be right there where God plant us in the neighborhood where you are. You're the church. You're Moody Church. I'm Moody Church in the Belmont Craig neighborhood. It's not a bad neighborhood. It's not the prettiest. But it's where God planted us. So we're looking, how do we become the light? And little by little know that there's a pastor that lives there. Right? Now I have to be careful how I behave. (laughs) Is God making your word things where you need to speak up, take action? Will you stay silent? Or will you be part of his deliverance? Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we, um, Lord, what a, what a immense truth to know that this life is all about you. That you are in control, that you want to carry your plans according to your will, and you will. And Lord, you invite us not just to be saved and to belong to your people, but to to be part of the amazing work that you're doing here, to be part of the solution to the healing of hearts. Lord, to, to speak out for those that are weak, for instruct those that are lost, that they need wisdom, Lord. Allow us not to learn not just for our own entertainment, but learn about you so that we can share with others. Lord, in a time where everybody wants to adhere to their own version of the truth, Lord, make us your body who speaks the truth to all people. Lord, make us more concerned about the eternity of hearts than about the comfort of hearts. Lord, just church, forgive us when we have felt comfortable where we are and just said that's somebody else's problem. Lord, we want to be your voice. We want to be your feet. We want to be your hands. We know that you sent us into a difficult world, but we know that you go with us. In dark moments, help us remember that you are in control and that we serve the living God. Holy Spirit, make us sensitive to your voice. In the name of Christ, amen.